Welcome to the BlackburnNews.com candidates debate for London Fanshawe. I'm joined today by four of the candidates. We have Susanna Dealman from the Conservative Party of Canada. We have Matthew Pelosa from the Green Party of Canada, Khalil Ramal from the Liberal Party of Canada, and Irene Matheson from the NDP. Candidates, thank you so much for coming in today. We really appreciate it. Uh, let's have a, a spirited and civilized debate. I'm sure everyone is uh, interested in that. Uh, as we mentioned uh, in our previous debate, the format is we'll do 90-second opening statements, and then we'll get to the question portion of the debate, and then closing statements. We did a draw to do the order of the opening statements, and we start with Susanna Dealman of the Conservative Party of Canada. You have 90 seconds. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Susanna Dealman, and I am your Conservative candidate for this fall's federal election. I'm a mother of four teenagers, and I have worked in the municipal sector as a director of finance providing ba balanced budgets for more than 20 years. I am thrilled to be representing London Fanshawe. I love the c cultural diversity here, and I am impressed by the strong work ethic for the people who live here. Such a strong work ethic deserves a strong economy to support the jobs that we already have, as well as the impetus to create new jobs as businesses grow and prosper. The past few years have been very challenging for all economies around the world, and under the leadership of Prime Minister Stephen Harper, our Conservative government has guided Canada through the worst global recession since the 1930s. We have cut taxes over 200 times for families, seniors, and businesses. We have balanced the budget by eliminating wasteful spending and without cutting transfers to persons or other levels of government. As a result, Canada has one of the strongest job creation records and the strongest growth record in the G7. But Canada can still be affected by global economic uncertainty from places like Europe and China. In these challenging economic times, we cannot afford the opposition party's high tax, high debt proposals that will result in lost jobs and closed businesses. We need Prime Minister Stephen Harper, who has the proven experience to lead a $1.9 trillion economy. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much, Susanna. Uh, up next is Matthew Pelosa of the Green Party. Go ahead, Matthew. I'm Matthew Pelosa, the Green Party candidate for London Fanshawe. We're now most of the way through the longest election of any of our lifetimes a length that was set for political gain at a significant cost to taxpayers, I might add. A lot's happened so far. Locally, we've seen the bad. We've seen campaign offices vandalized, signs destroyed, candidates avoid debates. We've also seen a perversion of our democratic system, a push, um, a push to, to uh, promote strategic voting and the goal of ousting a party that has spent the better portion of nine years attacking our democracy from within. In a lot of ways, this reflects what we've seen on the national level. No social network post is too old to dig up in the name of political points, where conversation about face coverings and religious freedoms has become a bigger issue than our economy and our environment, and where over-the-top partisan jabs between parties aim to not give you a reason to vote for them, but rather a reason to stay home on Election Day and not vote at all. Well, that can all change, and needs to change to fix our democracy. We can start that change right here with London Fanshawe. We can have debates about the most important issues respectfully, we can be open, honest, and helpful across party lines to increase engagement with voters. We can ask you at home, the voters, to put aside your predetermined partisan ideas about what each of us represents and listen to our answers with an open mind. At the end of this debate, I hope you can truly say you are voting for what you really want this election, and I hope if, like me, you believe that includes the ideas of the Green Party has put forward, that on October 19th, you vote for me, Matthew Pelosa, London Fanshawe candidate for the Green Party. Thank you very much, uh, Matthew. And up next is Khalil Ramal of the Liberal Party of Canada. Thank you very much. I'm uh, Khalil Ramal, the candidate for Liberal Party for London Fanshawe. I'm delighted to be here. 
uh, I get the privilege and honor to serve this riding as an MPP for eight years. During that time, I had the privilege and honor to work with so many people, so many factories, so many companies. I had the honor and also the privilege to work with the City of London and many different uh, community leaders to bring jobs and uh, opportunities for many people to work in this riding. After many years, uh, since I left in 2011, I see this riding is going down and down. I had the chance to meet so many people for last month, knocking on doors, talking to people in everywhere in London, uh, Fanshawe, East London, uh, Millbank, uh, White Oaks area. People have no job. People stress out. They, they don't know how to can pay for their home, for mortgages, how they can survive on a daily basis. That's why I decided to come back and run again to support this community who had the chance to serve them for eight years because I cared about them. And I think I have the ability and the chance to, you know, attract more companies to come to London. I have the experience to bring investment to this riding to employ people because we have a lot of smart people in this riding. They're looking for a job, waiting for opportunity to, uh, you know, utilize their abil ability and their skills in order to uh, have a job to service themselves and their families and provide food. And, uh, you know, we, we have a difficult time at the present time. That's why we're the only party, as the Liberal Party, have a plan to invest in the economy and stimulate the economy and create jobs for many, many thousand people in this riding and this province. And thank you. Thank you, Khalil. And uh, lastly, we have from the NDP, Irene Matheson. Irene, go ahead. Thanks uh, so much, Scott, and to Blackburn News for this opportunity to speak with the uh, folks of London Fanshawe. Clearly, Canada is ready for positive change. I think it's accurate to say Canadians are anxious about their pensions and health care, about their children's future, the environment, and the reduction of important federal services upon which they rely. Veterans have had their pensions clawed back by both Liberal and Conservative governments. Seniors have been told that in future they'll have to wait for old age security until age 67. Both Liberal and Conservative governments have made cuts to employment insurance and hurt families. Layoffs at immigration and Canada revenue have meant job losses and the denial of services Canadians rightly expect from their government. New Democrats have a different vision. We want a Canada that has increased CPP, good jobs with fair wages, a stronger system for EI, as well as childcare, senior care, pharmacare, and strong healthcare system. I'm very proud of my record. I've reduced family taxes with my motion to end the federal tax on feminine hygiene products, developed a national strategy on aging, secured over $100 million for London businesses, not-for-profit organizations, infrastructure, and environmental initiatives, as well as helping 12,000 constituents facing federal issues. New Democrats stand with our neighbors for communities that are fair and equitable and where no one is left behind, and I stand with you too. Please be sure to vote on October the 19th. Irene, thank you so much. Uh, we go now to the question uh, portion of the debate. And once again, uh, just a quick word on the format. I will ask a question of one candidate. That candidate will have roughly two minutes to answer that question, and then we'll open it up for a few minutes of debate. Again, we ask that we uh, try not to talk over each other too much, and uh, I'll do my best to, to get everyone a chance to, to respond. First question is to Susanna Dealman of the Conservative Party of Canada, and it has to do with our region's economy. Um, London's economy has rebounded somewhat from the recession. There are still, however, a lot of people who just don't have jobs and can't find jobs. Some sectors are doing well, others not. Manufacturing, obviously, is still a big concern. What would your party do to get more people in this area, in the London area, 
back to work. I read recently that London's workforce is growing, and at the same time, the unemployment rate is now lower than it was before the recession. So that tells me that people are finding jobs, and they're finding them here at home already. And that's a good sign. Our Conservative government has supported businesses in the creation of jobs by lowering their taxes to their lowest level in more than 25 years. We've also um, implemented the uh, Red Tape Reduction Act, reducing red tape, which saves businesses millions of dollars a year, which is a huge bonus for them, giving them more time to do what they want to do in terms of their own business and saving them time and money and having to file you know, a multitude of forms of government forms. We've frozen employment insurance rates, and we are proposing to lower them by up to 20% in our next economic action plan. We will keep corporate tax rates at their lowest level, and we will lower small business tax rates a further 20% over the next four years. All of these things will lead to a stronger business community, um, able to be able to invest more into their businesses, to be able to create jobs and bring more people on board and help them out that way. By comparison, the NDP has promised to raise corporate taxes and payroll taxes, putting jobs and businesses at risk. The Liberals are also promising the same things, and I think these are detrimental to our businesses, especially the small businesses and the medium-sized businesses located here in London Fanshawe. Okay, I'm going to stop you there, uh, Susanna, and uh, let's go first to you, Irene, because you were meant, your party was mentioned first by, uh, by Susanna, so I want to give you a chance to uh, offer a rebuttal here. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Scott. And uh, I think that the reality is that uh, Canada has lost 400,000 jobs since the Harper government uh, took over and 6,000 jobs in the London area. Uh, we've heard from the Liberal leader that manufacturing is dead. And uh, we've heard from the Conservatives that uh, lower taxes somehow miraculously help big corporations. The reality is that uh, the big corporations, despite the low taxes, are still sitting on $600 billion in what the Bank of Canada governor called dead money. They're not invested, they're not doing what needs to be done in order to create those jobs. Where we want to create jobs is with that 80% um, of job creators, small and medium businesses. And we're going to do that by lowering their tax rate from 11 to 9% immediately, not in some distant future. We're going to uh, allow them to have incentives, tax incentives, to hire and retain jobs. One of the problems with uh, the incentives given to places like Electromotive Diesel, five million from uh, the Harper government, was that uh, they took the five million and they left town with the jobs. We want to make sure that jobs, uh, that there are strings attached and that there is a real and clear understanding that if government is going to help, those jobs have to remain. Thanks, Irene. Clue, let's go to you next. Thank, thank you very much, Scott. I guess I would invite uh, Susan to uh, knock on doors in uh, East London and uh, talk to people. We have a lot of people with no job. You know, as we mentioned, uh, you know, before me, uh, you have the locomotive closed, you have the uh, clots closed, you have down aircraft, almost uh, 100 people left in the company, you have uh, Accuride almost uh, closing, you have many, many small company closed due to, uh, you know, uh, uh, no support from the federal government. And we invited in the past the federal government to come and work with the provincial government and refused to do so. So I think it's important for us to reinvest in the economy. That's why the Liberal Party has, has a plan to invest right away in our economy, in our infrastructure, in our transit, our fast train to Toronto, to link all the cities together to attract people to come live in this beautiful city and also to create the jobs. So the only way, I believe, 
uh, you know, to uh, attract business and a job, to create a good infrastructure, to serve this uh, infrastructure. We have a lot of, uh, you know, spots in this riding. They have no internet service. They have no water service. They have no sewer service. So how we can attract business without investing in our infrastructure? I know the NDP talking about, you know, let's go have a plan for the next 20 years. We need an investment now. We cannot afford to wait more than that. Let's give Matthew a chance to get in here as well. Well, it's worth noting we do have some absolutely amazing entrepreneurs in this community that are really growing the tech sector in this in this area. But one of the problems we have is that you're not going to take an assembly line worker at the Kellogg's plant and turn them into a computer programmer. It's just not a reality of our economy. Um, so as much as we may have some growth in some areas for a segment, we still have a lot of people that are having real suffering. And a lot of that goes back to the downturn of our manufacturing sector. You know, the Conservatives will tell you that there isn't a Dutch disease in this country. Well, if it's not the Dutch disease, then it's a really bad case of the Dutch sniffles. Um, you know, it's, we basically have our dollar completely tied to the value of oil right now, which has created huge uncertainty for anyone who's trying to deal in international business and trying to deal with, in, in an export trade market or imports where they're trying to buy machinery and equipment. So we, we really have to find a way to disconnect ourselves with our dollar from the value of, of oil in order to actually have a properly functioning economy. One of the things the Green Party would really like to do, though, to work on jobs is we want to start um, retrofitting current existing buildings. You want to get people back to work. The best way to do it is to put money into, into going into looking at all the construction that we have in this province, in this country, and making it energy efficient buildings that are going to save us long term, significantly put investment back into our community, and create more jobs than any of the other programs that the other parties have, have offered. Okay, and uh, very quickly, Susanna, did you want to respond to anything that you, you just heard? We just have a, a few seconds, but uh, wanted to give you the opportunity anyway. Yeah, you know, Southwestern Ontario has seen a steady increase in the growth in the manufacturing sector over the past several years. It actually provides more jobs now than we lost during the recession. And right here in London Fanshawe, we've seen the arrival of Han Wah and Dr. Itker. And our largest manufacturing plant, General Dynamics, was awarded the largest export deal ever made in Canadian history, securing 3,000 manufacturing jobs for the decades. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the next question, and it's about health care. And this one is to you, Matthew. Uh, our health care system is facing a lot of challenges. Uh, I don't think anyone would argue about that. Uh, those challenges also aren't going away anytime soon. We have an aging population that is expected to put an increasingly... Uh, big strain on, on the system. This province, uh, Ontario, is looking more and more at trying to reduce the amount of time that people spend in hospitals. They're looking more at, at home care. And there have been uh, more and more services, it seems, have been opened up to private medical facilities. How do we protect the idea of universal health care when the bill for it is taking up more and more of provincial budgets? Well, first of all, I, I want to actually get the definition straight. Um, our our healthcare system isn't really the healthcare system; it's actually the sick care system. You know, our our hospitals, our de our, our doctors are, are devoted to to trying to fix um, already existing problems. And and really, where I see, if we want to be able to make this a manageable cost, we need to focus on much more on preventive medicine. Obviously, that that's a long term thought, um, but we need to focus on healthcare. Um, there was a promise last election about uh, tax credit towards. Uh, um, gym memberships and, and things of that nature, and that promise seems to have disappeared now, uh, something that would be trying to, as an effort to get Canadians more active and more healthy so that we would be less reliant on our healthcare system. So that's something certainly that, that, that I personally would like to see, maybe not through a boutique tax cut like, uh, like what's been so popular over the last five, six years, but certainly incentives to get people to be more engaged, more physically active, and live healthier lifestyles. Um, 
Short term though, absolutely we need to look at things like home care systems um, in order to be able to get people into their homes where they can be cared for better and have a healthier environment so they can heal faster and be um, not in really extremely high cost operating um, hospitals relative to the cost of, of, of home care. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, let's open it up to debate now and let's start with you, Susanna. Your thoughts on, on what you just heard and also your party's approach to, to the challenges that face our health care system. The Conservative government has been increasing transfers to the provinces by 6% per year for the last several years. So the pie is growing to take care of our health care needs across this country. And under a Conservative government, those transfers would continue to increase each year. So it's the federal government's responsibility to get that cash out to the provinces. And we've been doing that and we're going to continue doing that. However, it's the responsibility, for instance, here in Ontario, for the Wynn Liberal government to spend those dollars wisely and appropriately. Personally, I don't think they're doing a good job of that. I would like to see more home care, more preventative health care pr uh, programs in place, rather than always being behind the eight ball and catching everybody once they're already ill. Irene, I saw you shaking your head when uh, Susanna said that the transfers will continue to grow. Uh, a response from you on that? Well, uh, very clearly the Harper government has indicated that there will be a $36 billion cut to health transfers to the provinces. And that means that uh, provinces will be struggling in order to provide the care that we need. Uh, it is uh, an absolute fact that over the next 25 years the senior population will double to 10 million. And we have to be ready to look after those folks. Uh, and we're talking about home care because the cost of home care is somewhere between 42 and $55 a day as compared to $1,200 a day for a hospital visit. So we are, um, in our platform, going to invest in home care and make sure that there are 41,000 additional center patient health care spaces uh, for seniors, for people who are better recovering at home. Uh, we are going to, as I said, reverse that $36 billion cut and uh, we're going to look at the uh, determinants of health, and that's healthier lifestyles uh, and support for uh, seniors in that regard. And finally, farm care. The uh, Canadian Medical Association has estimated we can save between three and four billion dollars every year on a pharmacare program. So we're going to talk to the provinces and territories about a health accord and about saving that money and working together to make a better health care system. We can do it. I want to bring you in, Khalil, because you were part of the government that, that uh, delisted some, some services and, and moved them into uh, the private sector. How do you, how do you juggle? How do you juggle you, you it? You know, it's a, it's a very important topic. It's probably it's come second after jobs in, uh, in this area. And as you know, London's uh, one of the well-known cities for providing healthcare and research in this, uh, in this uh, country. Uh, I had the chance and honor to privilege, uh, privilege and to meet uh, Lawson Health uh, Research Institute yesterday. We talk about uh, this issue. Uh, I, I think what we need and what their recommendation to have a national health policy to uh, unify the health care service across uh, uh, Canada, not uh, you know one area different than the other area. So I think you would need a prime minister can sit with all the provinces to study this issue. So as you know, Scott and all the viewers, listener, uh, you know, we uh, have about 24,000 researchers in this city, provide a good service for the city. But what they get from the federal government, no support, nothing. Actually, they refuse to meet with them. If we invest in this sector, uh, you know, 100%, we can reduce the, the waiting time for hospitals, and also we have to have a, a national strategy for uh, home care services and also for senior services because we need a lot of support for seniors who doesn't have a place to go. 
I guess provinces alone cannot do it. We need a strong prime minister to invest in this area and sit with all the provinces to put a national strategy in order to alleviate all these issues. Okay, thank you candidates uh, for, for your answers. Uh, we're going to move on to the next uh, question, and this is, is for you, Khalil, and it's about childcare. I have two children, two precocious, beautiful young daughters. When they were younger, I had one of them in, in childcare full-time. She was a, a toddler. The other child went to childcare for the afternoon after she had morning kindergarten. That year, my wife and I paid over $20,000 in childcare. Over the course of that year, we did get our $100 a month uh, check from, from the Harper government. Apart from a bigger monthly check, how is the Liberal plan for childcare any different than the Conservatives? Uh, we believe uh, strongly in supporting the middle class family in this uh, country. And uh, as you know, what you get uh, $100 from uh, the Harper government it's taxable, it's not uh, considered as an income. In the end, if you calculate your income, after all, you probably get about $13, $14, uh, you know, in the end. You're not getting enough support to support your kids. What we're proposing to, uh, uh, you know, so support middle class family, we are proposing to increase the child care benefit uh, up to $544 per month for every child depends on the income. So we have a schedule for that. From 15000 to 45000 you get up to 544 and goes down depends on your income. So, uh, as your income goes up, your your uh, you know benefit will goes down go down a little bit. So, uh, and also it's not taxable. So we think strongly by this investment in the middle class family, we we'll give them a chance to look after their kids and give them the ability to survive and live comfortably. Because it's important in this difficult time, our middle class will shrinking daily after day because not support, not no jobs, not prosper, no prosperity in this nation. So therefore, I think if we focus on the middle class family, I guess we achieve our target. And uh, I think the rich people shouldn't get uh, the $100 or $150 in a monthly basis from the Harper government, should be focused on the middle class and the poor people who don't have uh, ability to support their families and their kids. Okay, I want to go to you, uh, Susan. Uh, we'll get to, I, I want to hear from you on this, Irene, as well, because you have a very different uh, plan for childcare than, than the other parties. But Susanna, why is the, the Harper government uh, plan of, of the continued $100 a month, why is that better than what the Liberals are proposing? We believe that the moms and dads know what's best for their kids and not governments. It's why we've enhanced the universal child care benefit, why we're returning billions of dollars to all families with children under the age of 17. The plans proposed by the Liberals and, as we'll hear in a few minutes, by the NDP are uh, costly and will require raising taxes again on those families that are trying to get back to work, on those middle class families who are already trying to make ends meet. And the higher the taxes go, the more difficult it is. Um, you know, just increasing the amounts that go out to, to cover childcare is not going to be enough. It, like, there has to be some sort of balance. So we want to keep taxes low. The universal child care benefit is there, as well as income splitting for families, which will also help them to make their own choices as to how to care for their children. Okay, Irene, uh, you have a, a very different plan for child care. I wondered if you could just take a moment to explain how your plan differs and and why it's it's... In, in your party's position, significantly better than what the Liberals and the Conservatives proposed. Thanks, Scott. Um, you know that we've been promised a national child care program in this country since 1984. And in fact, uh, we heard from uh, Liberals as um, far back as 93 that they were going to bring in a child care program. They never did. So when uh, Khalil talks about $544 uh, for child care, 
the average cost in Ontario is $1,100 a month. So that's just not going to uh, cut it. And also, um, that particular plan doesn't create a single childcare space. We're talking about $15 a day maximum uh, childcare, and over our mandate, one million spaces created. It's safe, affordable, regulated childcare. That means that your child is getting every advantage through uh, early childhood education. And we know that for every dollar invested in childcare, we get two back in the economy because moms and dads are able to go back to work, uh, go to school. We have um, hired uh, childcare workers. Uh, we have the, uh, a much better system and uh, it's much more beneficial to the economy and the community. That's what we'll do. Okay, Matthew, if I could just get, just be be patient for just one second. I want to get Khalil, give Khalil a chance to respond yes. to what Irene said. Actually, said. Irene probably should remember like, very well when uh, Paul Martin's government proposed the national child care policy. What happened to it? The NDP collapsed the government and the program didn't go through. One million spot across Canada, and then we lost them because the NDP uh, back then uh, didn't support the Liberal, and the government collapsed, and we had the election, and everybody knows what happened. And I, th I think $15, if you calculate them, Scott and all the uh, listeners, will cost, will, will means about $8 billion a year. And the NDP, what's it proposing? Proposing to spend $8 billion on education, and sorry, and daycare, and in the meantime, they want to balance the book, balance the budget within a year. So they're giving people false impression, false uh, hope. And $15, as you know, doesn't mean nothing to any daycare. It costs more, and uh, you know, it's, it's a more impressive and more, uh, you know, to put a strategy to support the middle class family when given $544 a, uh, a month support for child, and they can go and create a job for them to uh, support their families. Okay, Irene, uh, go ahead, because I, I I know that the whole bringing down the Martin government thing is a sore spot with your Democrats, so well, go ahead and respond. I, I mean, this is just ludicrous. I'm sorry that Mr. Rommel does not understand it would be $15 a day for a family. That would be the maximum. Yeah, what's going uh, what for daycare? I didn't interrupt you. Uh, and uh, and that will allow families to get back to work. But this nonsense about poor Paul Martin, he refused to support support uh, for health care. He refused to say that he would make sure that health care was secure. And as a result, his government was uh, uh, was defeated. And in terms of uh, this uh, child care, there was no money set aside. Uh, the Liberals themselves called it a deathbed repentance. And uh, in November, when his government fell, he said, well, we're going to have an election in February. Well, it was in January. So uh, two or three weeks doesn't make any difference. But what does make a difference is telling the truth. And the truth is that uh, the Martin government uh, was spinning a tail when it came to First Nations, when it came to child care. They had 12 years to bring forward a promise they made in 1993. And they didn't. Okay, I want to give uh, uh, Matthew a chance to uh, talk a bit about childcare before we move on. Well, I'm happy to have the opportunity to talk about that because you know, we spent a good portion back and forth here talking about you know 1993 to, to 2005, and I'd rather move the conversation back forward to the present and talking about the future. Um, certainly, I I feel your pain when you're talking about the expense of childcare. We have in, in my household three small children, um, and had to deal with the reality of, of of my wife having to choose between going to work. Um, to pay for childcare, or or staying at home, um, where basically, you know, her entire income would have gone towards towards childcare for three children. Um, so it is definitely a, a, a challenge we have to address. Um, there are some great ideas on the table coming forward, both from the NDP and the Liberals, that are both worthy of consideration. Um, and maybe the, the the ultimate solution might be somewhere between the two. 
Um, I think, though, it does bring up some larger scale issues, though, of some of the, the inequality we still have in our society. Um, that the average Canadian woman earns $8,000 less than their male counterpart doing the same job, um, and then we're expecting um, you know, to have both, both people in the household going back to work. Uh, when we have that type of equality and then having to pay for daycare on top of that, you know, those are some of the other issues that need to be addressed. So it's really not just a single silo issue. It's not just what's the cost of daycare. It's you know, what are the expectations that we put in place in society that, that create some of the issues. Okay, thank you, uh, Matthew. And we're going to move on to the next question, which is about the environment. And this question is for you, Irene. Uh, Canada has come under criticism from environmental groups around the world because of the oil sands. But let's be honest, Canadians aren't giving up their cars anytime soon, and companies seem to be relying more and more on tractor trailers to get their products to market. So there's no doubt there's an appetite for fossil fuels in this country. Setting aside for a moment the argument that the oil sands development and extraction are important to the economy, how would an NDP government uh, approach the oil and gas sector given our consumption of the product that it produces? Well, thank you. Uh, and it's very clear that um, uh, a change to sustainable and environmentally responsible um, uh, energy use is not going to happen overnight. Um, it takes time to transition, and that's what we're saying, that um, we understand the current situation in terms of our dependence, but we have to move away from that dependence. And one of the ways to do that is to invest in sustainable and uh, reliable um, new energies. We know, for example, that um, there used to be some research into that, uh, some money spent by the federal government, but the Harper government took that away and they gave it to the oil patch. So uh, investments in uh, research in order to reduce the reliance that we have on fossil fuels and support uh, energy efficiency and conservation. Uh, nobody ever talks about that. We'll implement a cap-and-trade system that um, does indeed put a price on carbon so that people, um, industry is not using our lakes, our, our air, and our uh, soil as a garbage dump, as a dumping ground for uh, waste. And uh, we'll uh, kickstart a clean energy uh, sector. And the reality is um, that Canadians are very um, innovative, Londoners are very innovative, and we have missed out on all of the technologies, all of the opportunities to create products and move ahead in terms of uh, cleaning up the environment. We will also um, in implement Jack Layton's uh, Climate Change Accountability Act and put targets on carbon. Thank you, Irene. Uh, let's open this up to debate now. Let's start with you, Susan. Uh, respond Susan. to what, uh, or sorry, Susanna. Uh, respond to what uh, Irene just, uh, just told us if you want to. You know, our government has invested hundreds of millions of dollars in initiatives to keep our air clean, our water clean, and our land clean, and we'll continue to do that. We're also investing in research and development for new ideas and to spur growth in our economy, and I would hope that alternative energies and clean energy, um, you know, alternate uses for our vehicles, etc., would come out of that research and development that we're going to be investing in. You know, as I knock on doors, people are, are looking for that balanced approach on both the environment and taking care of it, as well as protecting our economy and our jobs. And it seems to me that the opposition parties, they're not getting that quite the way I would have expected. Instead, they're planning on imposing a carbon tax on everything. Those carbon taxes are going to end up killing jobs and putting businesses at risk. Matthew, let's go to you next, because obviously, as a Green Party candidate, the environment uh, is, is very near and dear to your party. How do we... How do we reconcile uh, the problems that, that critics say uh, are, are inherent in the oil sands 
and our what seems to be insatiable desire for for fossil fuels. Well, you know, Craig kind of rechanged the the conversation there a little bit. It's not an in, insatiable desire for fossil fuels. We have an insatiable desire for energy in this country, and that doesn't necessarily have to come from fossil fuels. You know, my my dream car is a Tesla. It's not a a, a gas guzzling Hummer. It's 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 a electric car with a battery that happens to be the fastest, coolest car on the road. Um, but that, that would be my dream car. And, and when you get to the point where you electrify your, your automobiles, you can then talk about how to get green energy into those cars. And then we can start investing like other countries have. You know, Germany, for example, which has 1.4 million clean tech jobs, uh, which counts for 11% of that country's GDP. Whereas in this country, we insist on putting more and more money where we've invested billions and billions of dollars through, through tax breaks into the, into the tar sands projects. Um, and we're really investing in a, in a short-term play. The, the world has come together, the G8's come together and said that they want to end fossil fuel use by 2050. So we're putting all of our eggs in a basket that, that world organizations are saying is a dying market. And that just makes no sense for the future of our economy and the future of our kids. Yes, you know, if you have a, a strong leader and a strong prime minister, you can do a wonderful job for all Canadians and for the whole world. You know, I, I give an example. So in the province of Ontario, they were able to eliminate all the coal generations and place them by green energy and uh, renewable energy. And also they created the biggest conservation authority in North America. So when you have the will, you can do whatever you want. When you have a strong leadership, you can implement all the green energy uh, 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 policies that can be applied and can people happy, can people be healthy. You know, it's, you know, they'll talk about the, the, the clean environment. It's talking about the health, uh, protecting our people. When you have all this car, you know, pushing all this emission in, in the air and we go breathe it, we're going to get sick. going to cost the health care. It's going to cost the environment. So I think by, by investing in research and innovation, we can eliminate all these uh, issues uh, in, in our nation. I think it's important to go back to our research innovation and invest in green energy, renewable energy, to replace all this, uh, you know, dirty uh, fuels uh, polluting our environment. Okay, thank you, candidates. Uh, we are now complete, uh, have completed our, our first round of questions. We'll move on to round two. And uh, we're back to you, Susanna. And this question has to deal with the treatment of veterans. Um, it's uh, an issue that your party has been criticized uh, about. The Harper government has taken heed about vet how veterans uh, have been treated. We've had the closing of veterans affairs offices and, and what critics have called an insufficient mental health support system for soldiers who are coming back from places like Afghanistan. What does your party have to do to convince Canadians that veterans will be treated well in the future and will have access to the services that they need? If you look at the Veterans Affairs website, you'll see that our government has increased veterans funding to its highest level ever, both for the department overall as well as for individual veterans. That said, there are a number of challenges that have been identified and we're working on them to resolve those. When I'm elected, I will always work hard uh, whenever a, a veteran's file comes into our office to ensure that that person's needs are met and that their, their concerns are addressed. We're investing in additional mental health care centers across the country for our veterans so that they can access the um, care that they require. We're also increasing the number of support workers so that that one-to-one -one care is going to be increasing so that those files can be addressed hopefully as quickly as possible and that each veteran is dealt with with the respect and dignity that they deserve. Okay, uh, I want to start with you on, on this, uh, Irene, uh, because I know this has been an issue that, that you have, have uh, 
have held very close and, and have worked hard on. So I want to give you the chance to, to, to respond first. Well, uh, it's very clear to uh, the veterans of uh, this country that they have not been taken care of properly by either liberals or conservatives. We've seen their pensions clawed back when CPP came into force. Uh, veterans had the pensions that they contributed to uh, clawed back. Their frontline services have been uh, reduced significantly. Um, uh, they have failed in terms of mental health care uh, and uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome. And uh, the Conservatives spent nearly a million dollars fighting veterans in court uh, when all they wanted was the government to honour the sacrifice they had made and to make sure that the benefits and pensions that they had earned by standing up for this country were there. So we're going to support veterans. We know uh, how very important it is to support veterans and their families. So we're going to make an investment of $454 million over four years to provide better treatment for veterans in terms of post-traumatic stress, their mental health issues, and we're going to enhance long-term care. Right now, if you are a post-Korean vet, you can't get into federal long-term care. You're uh, turned away at places like Parkwood Hospital. Uh, that is simply not acceptable, and we want to make sure that uh, that, the Veterans Independence Program, and support for uh, the spouses of veterans is in place so that families can uh, continue to manage in uh, what is a very difficult economy. Okay, we've got about uh, two minutes left on this. I want to go to, to Matthew first on this one. Matthew, how, how do we do a better job in this country of, of looking after our veterans? I'm going to rehash a lot of things Irene said. I've never met anyone more passionate than Irene is about protecting our veterans. Uh, but I really do agree, you know, we need to reopen our veterans' offices, restore lifetime pensions to our veterans, and stop spending millions of dollars fighting our veterans in courts. Um, you know, there's the misconception out there that, that a current government is a pro-military government. Well, if you really want to be pro-military, you need to give them the proper equipment to make sure that their lives are protected, not put them in unnecessary harm's way, and take care of our, take care of our military veterans once they become veterans. And on all three accounts, this current government has failed. Khalil, go ahead. It's, uh, I, you know, veterans cannot wait four years uh, for services, and uh, I know the NDP proposing this four years, uh, next four years to service them. So what we do, we do that right now, right now to uh, support their pension and also reopen all the offices to support all the veterans across this nation. I met a lot of uh, veterans, uh, you know, while, while I'm canvassing. Actually, I was talking to one gentleman yesterday. He was injured in Afghanistan. He came back to uh, to London and he cannot find a job. He lives in poverty. He has no support. He cannot go anywhere to support his life and support his living. So, and 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 the conservative talk about supporting. You know the veterans and supporting our army and military, and we send them everywhere to uh, protect the democracy and uh, protect us as a, as a as a people who live in this nation. But when they come back, live in uh, poor and in poverty, they have nowhere to go to, and some of them suffer from a lot of psychological issue due to, you know to the war they they engage in. I guess our obligation and duty as a citizen of this nation, when they come back, we should provide them with all the service they need and all the protection they need and all the you know financial support because it's shameful to send the people to fight for you, to defend you, and come back live in poverty. Irene, uh, very quickly, you had an issue with something that Khalil just said. Well, he, he seems to be confused when he talks about uh, four years. We're not asking veterans to wait for four years. We're saying we're going to make sure that that money is available over the next four years, that it is secure. We start now. It's sort of the same confusion he has over uh, infrastructure. When we talk about stable 20-year infrastructure, we're talking about $1.3 for transit, 
now, 1.5 billion for bridges and roads now, and secure for 20 years. Okay. You know, uh, we're, well, we're going to get to infrastructure in, yeah. in, in just a moment. Let me, let me comment this one here. What I'm saying, our people in this nation need investment right now. They cannot wait for uh, for uh, you know this plan for one year, two, year three, year four. And her uh, her leader mentioned that. I didn't mention it. So they're talking about that for next okay. 20 years. We do, we do need to move on. Okay. Uh, so the next question is uh, about infrastructure. And this question is for you, for you, Matthew. Depending on who you ask, Canada's infrastructure is either falling apart, or at the very least, it's in need of some attention and, and more to the point, some dollars. What do you think is the most critical need that we have when it comes to infrastructure? And what is your party's plan to address it? Um, well, certainly without a doubt, if you all you have to do is live in a Canadian city to know that most Canadian cities are in desperate need of, of, of infrastructure um, regrades and, and reboots. Um, you know, we, we definitely have a, a problem where we haven't exactly planned our municipalities the most efficient way possible. We allowed our, our, a lot of our communities to sprawl out to the point where we need more roads, more sewers, um, and, and a much higher cost to service them as, as they build out. So certainly the Green Party would like to see ideas that allow municipalities to continue to grow, but grow in a more um, responsible way, a way that allows our cities to grow up instead of growing out. Um, so certainly our, our top priority as far as infrastructure um, would actually be, first of all, to make our cities more efficient, and that would be through retrofitting a lot of the existing structures within our communities. Second of all would be find ways to increase the densities of our communities, and a lot, one of the best ways to do that is by investing in public transit. So allowing our communities to get um, you know, better corridors for, for moving people between places um, you know, London has has a great initiative with uh, with with moving with a with a, a proposed bus rapid transit plan, investing in programs like that, or the LRT program that's down the road in Kitchener, uh, programs like that that are going to create construction jobs and, and give an immediate boost to our economy, but also allow our communities to be more sustainable long term and more efficient long term. Thank you, Matthew. Let's go to Susanna first on on this because there has been criticism of the Harper government that that it has not paid as much attention to infrastructure as perhaps it should have. How do you respond to that criticism? In 2007, the Conservative government introduced the Build Canada Fund. That initial investment was $33 billion over several years. In 2013, we introduced the new Build Canada Fund, and that was an additional $53 billion over 10 years. That's the largest infrastructure investment ever made in Canadian history. The gas tax fund is now permanent and indexed, providing Canada's municipalities with a stable source of revenue for infrastructure. And we want to continue working with our provincial and municipal partners to address these critical needs. As a municipal employee, I get how hard it is to make all those dollars that are coming in work and, and address those critical needs that you have. And I think our Prime Minister does understand the challenges faced by the municipalities for those critical infrastructures. Okay, let's go to you next. I, I think it's a very important question. It's a very, very important issue. We're the only party, Liberal Party in Canada, uh, have a plan for infrastructure because we believe our deficit, infrastructure deficit, is close to $120 billion. And what we propose is $60 billion invested in infrastructure to, you know, fix all, ro all our roads and highways and bridges. As you know, you go to the garden in Toronto, fall apart. Uh, you want to go to Toronto, it take you about two, three hours. You need a fast train to go to Toronto. Rapid transit for London, Ontario, for many different cities, to connect cities. And then you have uh, both parties, NDP and the Conservative, all focusing on balancing the budget, uh, you know, and uh, forgetting about the investment in, in our infrastructure. And, you know, our investment in, uh, in our infrastructure will help to stimulate the economy. Every dollar invested in infrastructure will return 160. It's not like a waste, as they think not as a, you know, it's a, it's a waste of investment. It is uh, investment for the future. 
And uh, to build a highway is not a waste, it's an investment. To build a road is not a waste, it's an investment. To build the sewer system and uh, the, the water system in many different cities and towns, it's very crucially important to our economy. In order to attract those companies, those factories we're talking about, in order to bring a manufacturer to come back to Ontario, to come back to Canada, you have to build the infrastructure. You have to have a good road, good transit, uh, good healthcare, good education, good bridges, good road, good highways. Otherwise, they're not going to come. So those very essential service for our people. Forgot about, we are willing as a Liberal Party to run a deficit for the next two, three years in order to stimulate the economy. And from the growth, we can balance the book in the fourth year. This is our plan. I don't think any other party has that plan to revive the infrastructure and to support the infrastructure and to stimulate our economy. Irene, Khalil says your party doesn't have a, a, a valid infrastructure plan. You're more concerned about balancing the budget. Your response. He hasn't been paying attention. Um, we know that municipalities and cities are the engines of the economy. And so we've said very clearly that we will put in place a, an infrastructure program that is secure and stable for the next 20 years. Uh, and uh, to do that, we will invest $1.3 billion each year in transit, $1.5 billion each year in the repairs to bridges, um, roads, uh, whatever needs to be repaired. And we will allow the cities and municipalities to determine what it is they need to do with that money, because they know. Uh, they don't need someone uh, from outside dictating. Uh, Susanna talked about the Build Canada Fund. What she didn't say was that a lot of that money never flowed because it required an equal investment from the province and from the municipality. And there's a lot of municipalities that simply didn't have that money to invest. Uh, we will fund this um, with the existing gas tax. We will uh, increase what goes to municipalities by one cent. Uh, so there is no increase in uh, what um, consumers or, uh, or government pays. Uh, and, in the, um, and in the interim, 54,000 construction jobs will be created and it'll add $4.5 billion to the GDP. That attracts business, that attracts more jobs. It's uh, a very clear and a very appropriate plan. Okay, and that noise we hear means that uh, this, this segment is finished. Um, we go on to the next question, and this is about integrity. And this uh, question is for you, Khalil. Rightly or wrongly, many Canadians have become very cynical about politics and about politicians. The Harper government has dealt with its share of scandals. You were part of a government that also experienced scandal. What would you say to a voter who just, come election time, throws their hands up and says, what does it matter? They're all the same. Uh, actually, matter of fact, uh, Scott, yesterday I met that person while I was knocking the door and he was very cynical. He was upset about politics and politicians. He doesn't want to vote. And rightly so. When I see, uh, you know, the politician, in, in, uh, whether in the legislature or, uh, or uh, you know, in, in, in the House uh, fighting and yelling and screaming and not behaving well, and don't send a good signal to the people. And also when they hear about the scandals like uh, the, the, you know, uh, the senator scandals, the senator scandals, and many different scandals happen across this nation. But you know what? In general, all the politicians, they go uh, in politics for the right reason. They go to run for office and put their name in the ballot because they care about this nation, they care about their communities, and they want to do their best. You, you know, every you know, uh, box of apples, you can have a one rotten one. But doesn't mean all the apples bad or rotten. So in, in general, I experience you know a lot of wonderful people I work with from every party, from every uh, you know whether from the conservative to the NDP to the Green Party, all the people in politics to do it for the right reason. And you're right, we have a lot of things, a lot of work ahead of us to uh, to uh, 
to correct, to uh, restore our democracy, to, to restore our system, because I think our system, to a certain degree, is broken, because so many people want to vote for you as a, as a, as a person, as an as a individual, but they don't want to vote for your party. So uh, hopefully, you know, uh, when we get elected, we should uh, put these issues on the table and discuss it, because sometimes the people like to vote for the local uh, representative, not for the party in general. So there's a lot of things to talk about that you write about this, uh, this issue. We face it on a daily basis. People don't want to vote, and we see it almost 50% 50, 50 from the total population that participate in the election. Okay, thank you for your answer, Khalil. Uh, let's open it up to the floor now, and, and let's go to you first, uh, Susanna, because your party is dealing with uh, a scandal with, with the Senate uh, issue, and, and I wonder if you're hearing about that at the door, and, and if so, how do you answer people when they say, you know, how do I vote for a party that, that has been dealing with, uh, with these kinds of issues? Uh, the issue has come up from time to time, not often. Most people seem to understand that any large organization, you have some challenges with certain individuals. Uh, as an employer, you know, you, you hire the best people you can and, and they look good on paper and they interview well, and yet once they get in there, sometimes they're just not what, um, what you expected them to be. And it, it is frustrating, it is challenging. I can speak for myself um, personally, you know, that I would bring integrity and honesty to this position and I would fill it to the best of my abilities to serve the people of London Fanshawe. This is what I want to do. I want to be there for you as the voters of London Fanshawe and, and to help all Canadians as best I can. Um, you know, I, I get as one voter, one voter said to me, you know, every garden has its weeds. All you can do as, as the leaders is address the issues as they arise, deal with the matter at hand, and move forward again. Irene, let's, uh, let's go to you next. Uh, how do we get people in this country, voters, how do we get more of them to come out and how do we get them to, I guess, look past what uh, some of the things that, that have made people cynical in the past and, and how do we deal with that? How do we get more people engaged in, in the process? Well, I think uh, by uh, showing integrity and honesty and uh, genuine concern for constituents, um, my office has made a point of, of listening to and helping people. We've helped over 12,000 people in London Fanshawe since we uh, uh, came into office. But I think in the larger picture, it's about electoral reform. And one of the things that we want to bring forward is proportional representation. We want folks to know that their votes do count, that their voice does matter. And uh, the current system uh, simply isn't working. People feel uh, disconnected. So electoral reform with proportional representation and, uh, and financing. Right now, and we've seen it in this election, uh, the Conservative government um, gerrymandered the election process, the financing process, and we have an 11-week campaign that is costing taxpayers a great deal of money. And the purpose of this 11-week campaign is to beggar the other parties. That's not um, the kind of fairness uh, that uh, taxpayers, that citizens, that Canadians expect. So uh, we would introduce um, financing reforms that made it absolutely clear that not only does your vote count, but there is going to be fairness in the process. Matthew, go ahead. Well, I, I want to go back to uh, a comment that uh, Suzanne made, you know, every garden does have weeds. And, and that is true, but when the gardener is blowing dandelion seeds uh, across the garden, you're going to get a lot more weeds. And the winner, uh, you know, the winner takes all mentality we have in Parliament right now. The ends justifies the means mentality that our Prime Minister has led by example with um, has resulted in a lot more weeds showing up in our garden than we really, really want. Um, 
So I, I you know, completely agree. We definitely need a lot of electoral reform, a lot of reform in our system. It definitely needs to start with the, with the voting system itself. The first past the post system we use is beyond broken. Uh, electoral reform is a requirement in order to be able to make sure that every single vote counts. We have the lowest voter turnout in the London region in London Fanshawe. And we, we need to find ways to engage them and give them a reason to think that their vote is actually worth something. Um, a proportional representation system definitely does that. It makes every single vote count for something. Um, so that's part one. Uh, number two, I think we need to find a way to get the power out of the leaders' offices. There's too much power centralized around the party leaders. Um, you know, when I go to a door and someone tells me I'm voting for Stephen Harper this election, well, that just irks me every time because Stephen Harper is running in southwest Calgary. He's not running in London. So we need to find a way to make it about your local candidates, and we need to find a way to make it so that every vote counts. Okay. Uh, thank you very much, Matthew. We're now at our last question, and this is for Irene, and it's about immigration. As we all know, there is a crisis continuing to unfold as, as thousands upon thousands of Syrian refugees seek safety in Europe. It's pretty clear that Saudi Arabia and some other countries in that region are not interested in providing homes uh, for the refugees, so it's falling on Western nations to do so. Canada can certainly provide a home for many refugees, but how do we balance the urgency of this situation with security concerns? What should Canada do? Uh, well, I think um, very clearly we have an obligation. We promised the United Nations that we would take in 10,000 Syrian refugees, and we didn't. Uh, this Prime Minister and uh, his Minister of Citizenship and Immigration have failed. Uh, the NDP is saying that uh, we will take in 10,000 by the end of this year, not some distant point in the future, but by the end of this year, and 9,000 uh, every year after that. But the problem is um, that uh, this current government has made a mess of the entire system. We need immigration reform, we need uh, a clear sense of um, putting in place a system that really works. People call my office and they say, there has to be a back door to immigration. Well, there's no back door. There's no front door because they've created a, a situation where people are waiting years and years and years for family reunification, one spouse to bring another uh, to this country, and it doesn't make sense. And in terms of the security, well, first of all, the United Nations pre-screens um, refugees. And we have very uh, talented people, if we could get them back to where they're supposed to be, uh, who are quite able to screen uh, refugees. We can bring in the people of, of uh, um, great strength and, uh, and determination who will build our economy. Uh, one thing that I heard from someone, and it impressed me very much, when we reach out to children and seniors and young men and women who are desperately in need of, of uh, safety in this country, we should be telling them, you are the one we have been waiting for because they will bring uh, incredible um, energy and, uh, and they will help to stimulate our economy. They'll help to build this country. We need them. Okay, thank you very much, uh, Irene. I want to go to you first, uh, Susanna, because Irene said that the Harper government has failed uh, on this issue. Your response? I would disagree with that. Um, Canada is taking a three-pronged approach to addressing this truly heart-wrenching um, situation that's happening in Syria and Iraq. So we're providing significant humanitarian aid to that region, as well as increasing the number of refugees that we are, can accept into our country. And while we're looking at ways to speed up that process, we must still remain diligent in our screening efforts to ensure that we protect Canada from allowing people uh, who want to harm Canada and Canadians from entering in under the guise of a refugee. 
We must also address the cause of the crisis, joining with our allies in the fight against ISIS to stop them from terrorizing the innocent people in that region. The opposition parties are demanding Canada's exit from the fight against ISIS, a deadly terrorist group that has named Canada and Canadians as targets. And it's an exit that would be irresponsible as well as leaving Canada very vulnerable to future attacks. Khalil, let's go to you next. Well, it's a, it's a humanitarian issue. We should be uh, addressing it, I guess, our obligation to the United Nations to uh, take uh, 10,000 uh, refugees to the end of the year. We're not fulfilling our obligation. And, uh, you know, I heard a lot of stories about, uh, you know, what we're going to do with those refugees. It's, you know, it's important. Probably all Londoners know that. It's, uh, you know, so many different humanitarian groups get together from uh, mosques, synagogues, churches, and put like team together to support those refugees when they come to, to London, including the mayor of London, Ontario, and including the province of Ontario, including many different, uh, you know, organizations across this nation, because we are, believe strongly in, in helping others as a nation, but the Prime Minister of Canada not taking this responsibility fully. And she's talking about, uh, you know, participation in fighting ISIS. Everyone wants to defeat ISIS, but what we're doing seriously to do that, I don't think so. We're doing enough to do it. And then we, uh, you know, uh, pretend we're doing a lot, but we're not. I think it's uh, very important right now to help the people of Syria to uh, have a safe home, safe place to live. And it's our obligation as a nation, as a, as a nation who cares for others, and uh, our part of our obligation to the United Nations to address this issue professionally and, and, uh, and uh, efficiently. Plus, uh, I would say our immigration policy is broken. Right now, if you have a uh, you know, uh, spouse or kids you want to sponsor to bring to Canada, sometimes you have to wait 18 months, 30 months to bring them here. So it's, you know, the whole system is not functional very well. I think we have to, uh, you know, uh, uh, readdress this issue from, 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 uh, from, the, from, the, from the beginning. And uh, we have to, uh, uh, you know, reform our immigration policy to make it uh, suitable for all the people who live in this nation. Okay, Matthew, um, is Khalil right? Is the immigration system broken? And if so, how do we fix it? Well, I'd rather talk about the original question, which was the, the refugee sure. crisis. And I just want to say that I'm sure as heck happy that we don't treat refugees in the past like we do today. Uh, my grandparents were married in a refugee camp in Italy, escaping from communist Yugoslavia. And if we treated refugees back then like we do today, I wouldn't be here. My family wouldn't be here. My family, which has university professors, small business owners, and accountants galore in it. And we wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be adding to our economy and we wouldn't be adding to the to the the fabric of our society if we treated refugees back then the way we do now so i, I think that's a rather sad state of affairs um this is also this is really is a humanitarian issue that we're discussing you know we have an unprecedented within our lifetime refugee crisis with four million people trying to flee a region all at once and we're squabbling over whether it should be 10,000 or 20,000 people we let in our door over a four-year period. You know, the, the security risks, you know, playing that up and fear-mongering in order to be able to prevent us from needing to take the responsibility we need as world citizens is, is a very, very sad state of affairs. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, that is it for the question portion of, of our debate today. Uh, thank you very much, candidates, for your candid, uh, candid answers. and. Uh, and for a very civil debate. Uh, it's very nice to see. We're going to go now to our closing statements and uh, the order will be the reverse of, of our opening statements. Uh, again, candidates, you have about uh, 90 seconds for your closing remarks. And we will start with Irene Matheson of the NDP. Thanks very much, Scott. Uh, it's my privilege uh, to serve as your Member of Parliament. 
and now I'm asking you to re-elect me so I can continue to work for you and deliver the results that make a positive difference to our families and our community. I believe Canadians are ready to bring positive change for Canada in this election. For New Democrats led by Tom Mulcair, uh, we are committed to repealing Bill C-51, giving seniors a significant raise, creating $15 a day childcare, restoring protection for our environment, including the Thames River, helping small and medium businesses create good community-based jobs, reversing the Conservatives' $36 billion cut that jeopardizes our health care system, strengthening employment insurance, and ensuring that veterans can access the pensions and benefits they were promised. And we will do this by respecting your priorities and balancing the budget. We've already stopped Harper and London Fanshawe. By re-electing me, we can make real our goals and our hopes for Canada, our families, and our future. I want to say thank you. And on October the 19th, please support Irene Matheson in London Fanshawe. Thank you very much, Irene. Uh, Khalil, you're up next. Go ahead. Thank you, Scott, and thank you for all the listeners, and hopefully they enjoy our debate. This election is very clear. Uh, between a party who wants to invest in infrastructure, invest in seniors, in veterans, children, middle-class family, and other party who wants to balance the book at any expenses uh, by hiring taxes, putting up the corporate taxes up, and uh, cutting services. We believe strongly in the people of this riding, believe strongly in the people of this nation, and I think, uh, you know, in October 19, uh, Canadians cannot uh, hire a government, can service them very well, look after them very well. I am uh, Kelly Ramel, the candidate for London Fanshawe, and hopefully you'll vote for me. I'll work for you very, very hard, and, uh, you know, to service you, to help you to attract more companies, more factories, more investment to this region, and then you can have a job and you can provide uh, your support for yourself and for your family. Remember, October 19 is important to you for the whole, else important for the whole nation. Thank you very much, Khalil. And uh, Matthew, you're up next. Go ahead. So thank you very much for having us here today. Um, if there's one thing we're pretty clear on at the end of today is that we're going to have a divisive parliament and get, getting along and finding common ground is going to be a problem. Um, but we really need to move beyond the old stock governments in Canada. We need to find new and bold ideas. And that's why the Green Party is proposing that we move forward with, with good government, uh, primarily through parliamentary reform, bold action on climate, sustainable economy, and, and strengthening our communities. Um, to be honest, I and the Green Party, we're not running to form government. There's three parties here that are already want that job. Really what we want to do is we want to be the new social conscious of Parliament. One that will bring people together and will stand up and say when things are going wrong. So please, on October 19th, vote for me, Matthew Peloza of the Green Party of Canada. Thank you very much, Matthew. And lastly, Susanna Dealman of the Conservative Party of Canada. Go ahead, Susan. Or Susanna, sorry, that's twice I've done that now, I apologize. Uh, Susan and I get mixed yeah. up, it's all right. My thanks to Blackburn News for hosting this debate and to the voters of London Fanshawe for listening in. As I go door to door and speak with voters, their number one concern is the economy and jobs. My number one priority, along with the Conservative Party, is the economy and jobs. The NDP, with their high tax, high debt policies that are similar to those of Greece, would undermine the Canadian economy, and the Liberals with their high tax plans would kill jobs and lead us back into recession. Now is not the time for untested and inexperienced leadership. Now is the time to stay the course, remain with our low tax plan, and remain with the leadership that is strong, stable, and proven, and we have that in Prime Minister Stephen Harper. 
The stakes are high and we have a choice. On October 19th, I ask for you to vote for me, Susanna Dieleman. Thank you. And candidates, thank you all very much for coming in today. And, and thank you for, for your involvement in the political process. Uh, I wish you all the best of luck on, on the 19th. And to the voters, uh, hopefully this has been very uh, informative for you. And again, as we, we said before, on October 19th, make sure you get out and vote. Thank you for watching.